So the big question is this. How do most agents who don't have access to the secrets that most successful agents hoard to themselves grow and prosper in today's competitive real estate environment? That's the question. And this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Pat Hyben, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. And now for the review of the day. All right. I got a five-star review from B. Harlow. B. Looks like B. Harlow, 12. Uh, five stars. Uh, wow, this is amazing. Pet is a mega rock star agent in his own right. He knows the real estate industry inside out. Pat asks the right questions and exposes the true secrets to success in the real estate industry. I highly recommend this podcast to any and all aspiring agents. Thank you, B. Keep the comments coming, guys. I love them. And remember, I eat feedback for breakfast. So give me a one-star review if you want or a five-star review if you want. I don't care. And the more reviews we get, the better guests we get. So please, subscribe first. And then leave us a review or wherever you're listening. Rockstar Nation, thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to stay to the end where our guests will be offering a free gift. As you know, all of our guests offer a free gift. And all of these gifts can be found on the Agent Success Toolbox. You could find that by going to hybendigital.com backslash toolbox or simply texting the word toolbox to 444-999 that's toolbox to 444-999 i am going to put today's free gift in today's show notes but if you want all of them including gifts from most of our guests that have come on the show just go to the agent success toolbox All right, Rockstar Nation, we are back, state of the market today, and I am Ian Lobos, your host for today, filling in for Pat Hyben, and I've got an amazing co-host, a friend of mine up in Manhattan, one of the epicenters, epicenters of real estate in the world, Aaron Wheelock. Aaron, introduce yourself just a little bit, give a quick like background so the agents and uh, people listening understand how amazing you are and powerful you are up there. Well, thank you so much. Um, yes, I'm Erin Wheelock. I've been an agent working in Manhattan, New York only, and a little Brooklyn for eight years now. I'm with Keller Williams, been there for about five years. Um, I'm in the top of my company. I love this industry and I can't wait to talk more about it. That's awesome. So we're going to get into a couple different topics today that are they're, they're relevant and they change by the week. So you're going to hear some things that you heard maybe last time on the state of the market on this podcast. However, listen up because with technology and with the industry shifting as much as it is and people raising sick amounts of capital, like these big companies raising huge amounts of capital, things change week by week. So we want to make sure that, you know, we talked about the iBuyer program two weeks ago. Things are different today. 
And that's the coolest part. And we're going to talk about that, especially with Aaron as a different point of view than like Pat and I have when we talked about it two weeks ago. So that's the, that's the first thing we're going to start with, Aaron, is this, this iBuyer program is more prevalent and more prevalent every week. Mm-hmm. And something that you and I have been talking about is this agent cord cutting syndrome or what would you call it? Like a epidemic? Yeah, I guess. Right. Yeah, it could be. Uh, yeah. I think that you get a lot more of this outside of New York city, just because I don't know how any I buyer could possibly put together a co-op board package and come for an interview. But I still think it's something that because it's going to change other places dramatically could potentially come in and have buyers confused when they come into our market center. That's interesting. So I want to talk a little bit about the Manhattan market because it is so different. It's a, it's an innovator and leader in the global economy of real estate, you know, like with Hong Kong and and San Francisco and, and like other major, major markets. So like, iBuyer wouldn't work with you up in Manhattan? So iBuyer, I've actually had a client recently call me and say, hey, I just got this offer on my property, but I don't think that it will really be able to work on co-ops because co-ops, in order to purchase something, you have to put together an entire financial package about yourself and then go be interviewed by a board. Oh, right. Um, And condos, you have to put together a package I don't know if there would be a way around it, um, but new construction they could probably buy, which wouldn't make sense in my eyes. Yeah. Um, single family townhouses and things more in the outer boroughs they could, but I don't know if they'll really be able to go through the process here. That's interesting. So it's a, it's a totally different buying and selling process than like here where somebody wants to buy, they're pre-qualified. We write the contract based on the Maryland Association of Realtors forms that the attorneys give us and it's it. There's no... Basically, their um, financial packet that you were talking about is really just their pre-approval letter. I wish. I wish <laughs> we of paper this morning put together a board package. I think they pretty much asked for everything except for blood in co-op. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot. So, you know, the iBuyer, I'm fascinated by this. As yeah. a real estate agent in the residential and commercial space, like I'm fascinated by this because, you know, I'm, I think there's concern for everybody involved in the, in the industry and what happens to, you know, those, those, those agents that are only selling, let's say a million to 2 million a year in like a market like ours where the average price point's 250. Yeah. Right. Like what happens when an agent's doing the average of six deals a year and I buyer just squeezed in as competition for them and they don't have the marketing dollars, and maybe they just don't even have the drive to just do more, where are they going? Are they forced out? Are they forced onto a team? Are they being picked up by Redfin and becoming an employee? Or you know, maybe at a certain point, Zillow has the onboard employees or onboard agents. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I definitely think that Zillow's next move is going to be to bring on agents. I think yeah. it's the thing that they can do, especially if... They're not flipping properties and they're not buying at a discount and taking advantage. Then they're going to have to be employing those people to be selling them for them. So I think that's what Zillow's up to next. They could go there. Otherwise, I think Redfin. I think if they don't have the drive to do it for themselves, they're probably going to have to go be employees. Sure. You know, there was an article on Inman where 
the CEO of Zillow basically said like, Hey, we are not flipping houses. We are helping, you know, we are helping buyers and sellers who are fed up with the process or want a simpler process. And that was kind of like paraphrasing through the article, but they were talking about, they just wanted a simple process or a simpler process so that they don't have as many moving parts. Do you find that up in, I mean, Manhattan's such a different animal that like, do you find things like that? No, but I, I also don't really believe them when they say that. Like, yes, people are probably giving their uh, feedback that they're frustrated, they want a simpler process, but I don't believe it's simpler because it's Zillow. I think that Zillow is trying to say that it's simpler, but in reality, they're just trying to take advantage of people that are distressed. Right. And I'm not that against them because I think that there's a lot of people, right, that have had signs out, I'll buy it at a discount, et cetera, and that can make it simpler. But then why not just call a spade a spade? Like, yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. Right? <laughs> like, you need help. You need to get out quick. We're going to give you some cash and call it a day, and you can walk away. Like, why try to play the good guy? Well, I mean, you know, their public earnings report actually showed that they're still losing money on the houses that they sell. Well, what happens when the market comes down even more and you're stuck with all of these homes? Right. Well, let's talk about that. I mean, obviously Zillow is a big company and so are the other, the other iBuyer, the big iBuyer guys out there or companies out there. What happens when the market shifts? They're not stupid. They understand what's going to happen. Well, they can um, afford to hold. They can afford to hold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But do their investors or do their stockholders start to get, you know, a little pissed off because, you know, Zillow's not buying five houses at a time. They're buying thousands of houses at a time. And I'm just picking on Zillow because it's just the one that's always in the news. And it's the one that like the iBuyer program is like just always synonymous with. But that, that, that leads to like what we were talking about in the beginning, like agent cord cutting. And I worry about agents in the next couple of years. I have new agents that'll come to me and ask for advice or I have coaching clients or people from this podcast that'll reach out on Instagram and they'll say, Hey, you know, I heard this episode. Like, I want to talk to you a little bit more about like, I'm a new agent. I've been in two years. I've only done, you know, a couple million in business and I don't know what to do. What do you think the market's going to look like in two, three years? I, I think the market's going to look like big teams, big businesses like Zillow and Redfin and all these other companies coming in. And maybe the, maybe just like the smallest guys in or smallest agents in the like real niche markets in boutique shops. What are your thoughts on, on that? You know, that's funny because I, I actually kind of saw it going in a different direction. I do think that you're going to have some of the big businesses there, but I almost feel like it's going to go more into relationship businesses, right? The yeah. person with the database, the person with the, who's been taking their clients out to lunch for years. And I, in my experience, find that those are more individual or small agents, right? Like I have a team of three people. So maybe it's the smaller ones that really focus on, you know, the individuals and have the events for them. I, I don't know. I kind of feel like it's going to go more that route because if you don't have the relationship, then it's going to be the big business. And I feel like the big teams are almost more of a churn and burn. Tribeofmillionaires.com. Guys, write that down. Rockstar Nation got a free special offer for you. Now, I've just written a book, and it's just been published. Co-authored it with David Osborne, who's been on this show multiple times. If you don't know David, 
He is one of the top execs at Keller Williams Real Estate, was personally mentored for the last two decades by Gary Keller himself, and he's in all kinds of businesses. His bio and explanation and everything is in this book. But anyways, David and I got together. We decided to write a book. We called it Tribe of Millionaires, and I guarantee you it's going to change your life. To find out more, just go to tribeofmillionaires.com. We're going to give it to you absolutely free. Only thing we ask in return is, of course, number one, you pay the shipping. Not a big deal. But number two, that you go on Amazon and write us a review. We're really looking to get an incredible amount of reviews. And because of that, we're giving this book away for free. Go to tribeofmillionaires.com today. Let me ask you, I'm going to throw a devil's advocate question at you. So let's say you're working a farm. Let's say you don't live in Manhattan. You're living in a regular place. Um, <laughs> that's not derogatory against Manhattan. It's just like, like a cul-de-sac neighborhood place, right? And you're farming that for years. You know the neighbors. They know you. You've taken them out to lunch. You've been in their houses. But what happens when a big team, a big expansion team, you know, and KW, like we're, we're, we're used to this expansion model. What happens when a big expansion team decides that they're going to take over, your, they're going to start marketing your farm and they go, we'll put $20,000 towards the marketing. My question is what part, what value piece is the tipping point? Is it like these guys are offering maybe reduced commission listings just to get into the neighborhood, uh, get those signs up in the ground. And these guys are in front of your clients or your prospects or your database so much with internet advertising, social media marketing, LinkedIn, you know, like they're in front of them that at a certain point, your value as an agent who's taken them out to lunch and provided some value over the years, like, do, do you think that that like wanes and that the value the big team offers like actually becomes valuable? Well, I think I'd start bad mouthing the big team instead. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> You know, all of my newsletters would be like, oh, these shysty people that are coming in here, we're going to have to really do something about that. I'll probably, you know, post some Facebook ads about them being terrible human beings as well. <laughs> but after I've done the smear campaign or smear campaign, you know, I think it can have an effect, but I still think those, I think people work with people that they like. And if I've taken them out, we've had parties, we've gotten to know each other. The biggest thing that I can do is remind them like who actually cares more about you getting the most money. And I think that's, I just have to outscript them if I can't make them look like crap on mine. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Smear campaign. I like that. So on the iBuyer topic and on the agent cord cutting topic, because it's happening. I mean, it's definitely happening. I mean, we, you know, Pat and I on the last day of the market, and I don't want to beat this in too much, but like the last day of the market, we talked about the Phoenix market and having something like 40% was like agentless transactions, which is wow. kind of scary. That's huge. Wow. Um, yeah. And look, who knows if that data is dead on, you know what I mean? Like we're just kind of going with it because it's a cool topic to talk about. And like, what if that was possible? What would happen if iBuyer or iSeller programs took over 40% of the Baltimore or Manhattan market? Like, you, that's, that's a major shift. We have to change all of our tactics again or something. Right. But didn't you have to change your tactics before when... So I talked to... I sold a house six years ago 
to a couple that I got from a, a, just a, a sign call. And at the settlement was the agent that sold the, the original owners the house 55 years ago. She wow. was the listing agent for the, she was the buyer agent for these people 55 years ago. And I think she was in her seventies or eighties and she was their listing agent and she brought the original contract. It was about eight inches. Like, and that was, it, it was like, Hey, do you want to buy this? Cool. Do you have money? Great. Uh, deposit the money. Great sign here. And that was it. And then we had a really cool time, but she mentioned like, this is kind of like our BS or our impact for our life, our generation. She mentioned that when the MLS went from being like a phone book where you had to drive around and look at stuff and you had to drop, you know, uh, contracts off at an agent's office. When the MLS became digital, she said it, it, it jacked up so many agents that were so anti-tech that it like it shifted the entire agent population. So maybe this is just one of those. Yeah, right. I guess, I mean, I'm terrible. I still use pen and paper everywhere. I do too. I'm really bad with like digital stuff. But, you know, you do kind of have to conform at some point. Yeah, or, I agree. Yeah. So I buyer, I seller. What about I squatters? I think these people are brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> it's real. It's real. I've been getting pinged with so many people around the country like, yo, did you see this? Did you see that? Like, <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, if they're qualified and they can get in. I mean, yeah. I mean, they were like, wow, this place is just sitting for sale. No one is inside of it. And there's yeah. a lockbox, like my new home. <laughs> right. <laughs> there's, there's actually, I have to say this. So in front of one of my best friends places, there is a homeless man who has turned this children's caboose bus thingy into his home and he's like made these styrofoam little balls that he like plugs all the windows up so the, the wind stays out at night oh, and i'm wow. like buddy good job like right. go you found a home i think this is kind <laughs> of level wow so I, I don't want to dig into that, but I just want to, I want to make that a topic because I think it, as this, as this iBuyer thing becomes more and more prevalent, I want to just, I, you know, the, the eye squatter may turn into a thing. I wonder though, just because I don't have to deal with that safety wise, could that become like a really bad thing? Safety wise for the agents or yeah. the, or the sellers? The agents that are yeah. I mean, I think it's a, I think it's a safety thing now. Yeah. You know, like when we go into investment properties, you know, I think the, I don't know how it is in the rest of the country, but I know that I've never experienced it myself except for like stair treads being cut in half, but not all the way. So when you step on it, you fall through. Like I've seen that and I've experienced that, but I've never experienced like a booby trapped house where I've seen some videos online where people were like, they could have been killed from some of these booby traps. Wow. Yeah. Ugh. Crazy. Absolutely okay. crazy. So I want to go over really quickly, shifting gears, um, pocket listing services. So I know it's prevalent to you because Manhattan is a different beast. It doesn't have its own traditional MLS and you do have a lot of pocket listings, right? Yeah, we have a different type of MLS, but it's just not regulated. So all of the data on it is really old. You don't have to put in what it's sold for and contract for. It's not really regulated, but at least it's like still a search engine for our clients. Sure. But like, 
I'm fascinated by that. So, you know, our, our mutual friend, Dan, who has a brokerage up in, in, in no man's land, <laughs> way up, way up in the 160s. Not really. It's Washington Heights. And, we, and I love it. I was there on Friday. It's just, it feels like so far when you think about New York being like a smaller metropolitan, but it's actually very big. Like you have to travel 11 miles, which I think the island's only like 13 or 14 miles long. That That's long. That's a, that's a journey in New York, in Manhattan sense. So I felt like I was in like in a completely different time zone when I took the train for 55 minutes all the way up. But anyway, like we were talking about it and it's, it's understandable, but also I don't get why New York, a major metropolitan area wouldn't have the most robust MLS possible. Yeah. From your lips to God's ears. Right. <laughs> right. But like, what do you think about, uh, like, what are you guys using? Are you using pocket listing services? Are you, do you have your own pocket listing services? Are you just doing it without a service and you're just email blasting the brokers? What, what do you guys do? Yeah, there's actually been a, a big trend in that recently where it's just a lot of blasting emails with, you know, I have a buyer looking for X, what do you have? Or I have this off market listing. Um, and I think a lot of that actually is just derived from the fact that our prices now have come down so much that there's a lot of sellers that would love to sell if they can get, you know, last year or 2017 prices. Sure, sure. So, you know, people want to put it out there because I think there's a lot of agents that are desperate for listings, even if it's at the wrong price, that they just want to get something and then start sending it out there so they can show something. And the off chance that, you know, someone will buy it. Do you think that do you think that the non-MLS or pocket listing is not pro-consumer? Yeah, I mean, I yes, I would agree with that. I think it's not pro-consumer. Although, you know, you do every once in a while run across a seller that really wants to sell, but they're very shy or very private, or maybe there's someone that is, you know, in the public eye. And right. I guess maybe it's pro-consumer, right? Because then you can try to sell it in the back without the whole world knowing. I mean, isn't it? So tell me if this is something that resonates with you, with you as fair. And although fair is kind of like a made up like word, because your definition and my definition might be different. If a, if a seller or a consumer is educated properly, and they really understand the difference, like it's an infograph. They really understand the difference of going online, what the MLS can do, maybe not in your case, but like what an MLS can do, what the, what the law of odds are for hitting the general and open market. Shouldn't it be up to them? The buyers? No, the sellers. Like the, if you're going to list and you want to do, let's say a, a seller says, hey, listen, you know, i um, not really crazy about, you know, I have a $10 million apartment on the Upper West Side, and I really don't want a lot of people tracing through here. How do, how do, how do we do this without getting it out to the public? To which you would say, well, let me just educate you and let you know that like, our law of odds is severely diminished if we don't get it out to the public. And I'm totally fine with that. And I have this system as a you know, pocket listing system. This is my system for making sure that we have it out to every broker who sells you know, 8 to $12 million brownstones in this neighborhood and around this neighborhood. And I will get it out to as many eyes as possible. Only qualified brokers though with qualified clients. So you mm -hmm. do understand you are telling, are you are telling them 
your law advice is diminished if you don't go on the open market and I respect your opinion and here's what I can do in this case. Are you cool with that? Don't you think like that's, you know, kind of the consumer beware, like consumer educate yourself and make the best decision with the education that you have? Yeah. Yeah. In terms of for the seller, I definitely think it is fair. I mean, there's extra paperwork that they have to sign so that legally we don't have to post it. But at the end of the day, it is up to them. The only thing as an agent is it can almost turn into a kiss of death, right? Because if you show them everything that you can do as an agent, they're like, okay, great. I want to hire you, but then I want to go down this route. Even if you tell them everything, you know, it might not work. Here's the odds, blah, blah, blah. I almost feel like you can kind of, I don't know, screw yourself because if you're not getting them the results that way, maybe they don't even want to try you on the open market when the time is right. It's like, oh, well, you know, you those 20 agents that are qualified with their clients didn't want it. You're not doing anything for me. That's yeah, I get that. Now, do, is there a turnoff? Like, in because I don't do a lot of pocket listing stuff. I mean, we're not pocket listing $200,000, $300,000 houses. Do you see a detriment? to a buyer like let's say if you have a you have a buyer and one of your friends one of your friends who are who's a broker says hey Aaron I got this really cool place brand new to the market nobody knows about it I'm sending it out to 40 brokers only uh sellers totally cool with it understands the ramifications bring your buyers by is that like is there anything detrimental to your buyer do you think well, I think there's some pros and cons. Yeah. I think big pro, obviously, you're getting in there before somebody else. So if it is something that's perfect, congratulations. Sure. Um, but the con is now you have a seller who hasn't put it on the open market. If he believes that this is what the price is supposed to be before the market might tell him otherwise, you're probably going to end up paying a little bit more. Fair, fair. You know, I was talking with James Harris out in LA. He has a, he has a, a pocket listing service in LA and I think a couple other markets in California. And there's a lot of people signing up to basically trade properties within the private listing service because it's not a, it's not a reason other than to test in a market like that where they have an MLS and prices are, are kind of out of control at you know, thousands of dollars a square foot, which actually yours are too. Like it actually, you, you tell a seller, it's kind of an objection handler. Seller says, well, I want to put it on for 30 million. And you go, well, the comps are showing it at X dollars per square foot and it should be 25 million. But you don't want to lose the client because there might be that one buyer out there who just wants that house in that section. And so you put it on the private listing service and you don't have days on market and you get to list it and test it and go back to the seller and say, hey, we've been on the, the private listing for a pocket listing for 30 days and we've gotten this feedback. And uh, looks like our price is going to hold, or looks like we should be at 25 million. What do you think? And then you hit the MLS with that. So you, they're kind of using it from what I understood as like a testing ground almost to, to hit the MLS at the right price point. Yeah. I think that's great, especially with luxury. Yeah. And you know, for me, this is my first really big shift in the market. And I almost feel like a buyer's market is harder to price in because while you look at comps, it really comes down to what a buyer wants to pay for it at the end of the day. Yeah, totally. You know, so being able to do that, I think would be huge. Well, now what do you like? I want to kind of move into cash offers. How many cash offers do you deal with in Manhattan? Put one in yesterday. Got it. Yeah. You know what? I would say we don't deal with them as much now as we used to. I mean, money is 
so cheap. Yeah, I know. You know, while I know a lot of people in, well, obviously, because I'm a real estate agent, I know a lot of people that want to keep their money in the real estate world. But still, when it's like, okay, I could get one or I could get finance five, you know, when money is this cheap, a lot of them are doing that. But it's definitely still around. Got it. So my question or my, the reason for me saying that is I was reading an article on this company called Ribbon and I'm not calling them out specifically. I'm just saying that there are a lot of companies out there and Ribbon raised like 300 million, just over $300 million in cash and debt. And they're like, they're kind of like bringing themselves as like this, this kind of credit card for home buying and make uh, making financing like a lot more competitive. So when you have those cash offer, you know, let's say like in your market, in a normal sense, like a $2 million apartment or a million and a half dollar apartment where somebody can come in with cash, but there's also probably a majority of the people that are going to get a loan for that. Mm-hmm. The, the guys with the loan, like they might not stand a chance with a cash buyer who's offering less contingencies and better terms. So this kind of company, and there's a lot of companies out there now that are Basically, they will go in as your, like you can do a traditional loan and then this company stands up alongside of you. And if your financing comes through, then this company doesn't do anything. But if a problem arises or or like uh, could like delay the financing or derail it, then this company will step in, buy the house and then sell the house back to you when your financing actually comes through so that you don't, so you can still be competitive. That makes sense. Yeah. I think that's awesome. It's cool. Yeah. I wonder what the fees are. That's yeah. 29% interest or something crazy. Right. But you know, I mean, when you're in a competitive market and there's bidding wars, I mean like 2015, 2016 here, forget it. You want a contingency, not happening. There's Mm -hmm. cash. You're, you know, you, you don't have a leg to stand on. So I think that's, awesome but yeah i just wonder what the fees are i don't know like i didn't i've been reading a lot of articles on this you know pat's got me pat's got me in inman news like crazy just reading articles and researching which i love to do and it's so funny because i i always get feedback from even for the regular shows where someone will dm me and ask me a question and and we want to be a resource for people to go to and then talk about it on the show or at least on the state of the market Um, But I also like to ask questions of the agents that we interview on the show. So I like to be up to date as much as possible. So I haven't seen, I'm sure if I dug into these companies like deeply, I could find it, but I haven't seen what they're going to charge you. I can imagine it's going to be probably some points, probably a higher interest rate. And I don't know, origination, like maybe like the same. But if you think about it, I just feel like it has to be less than a hard money loan because those have been around forever and less people were just living under a rock. I feel like they knew about it. Right. Um, Or maybe people have been, or I've just not, you know, I've been under a different rock and that isn't what everybody knew. And this is like the new main stage kind of hard money loan. Do the math. It's worth every single dollar. This is a quote from Mr. Bill Reed, who took my certified listing agent program. He says, looking to take your listing presentation to the next level. Listen, I've closed 100% of the appointments since I took Pat Hyben's certified listing agent. Five appointments, five new clients in 60 days. Do the math. It's worth every single dollar. 
Now you can get the certified listing agent course. You can get the certified buyer agent course, which tells you how to close every single buyer that calls in if you want them. You get the certified team agent course, which teaches you how to build a dynamite team like Jeff Cohn, who teaches the course. It's like a 10 hour course from Omaha, Nebraska, Berkshire Hathaway's top agent and seven other courses. Total of 11 courses, all five-star rated, only 97 bucks a month. If you paid for them individually on the website, they would cost over $10,000. And we are running a special now at futureofrealestatetraining.com where you can get them for $97 a month. That's all you can eat, $97 a month, all these courses. That's futureofrealestatetraining.com. Futureofrealestatetraining.com. Check it out. Rockstar Nation, it is time to finish the year strong. The year is almost over, and it's time to sprint. You know, in my real estate career, I always doubled down at the end of the year because all of the other agents were not working during November and December. So I took full advantage. This is a great time to leverage yourself and hire a virtual assistant. I'm talking about my Outdesk. If you haven't heard of my Outdesk, basically they are a virtual assistant company, a VA company that specializes in virtual assistants for real estate agents. Yeah, I'm talking about transaction coordinators, marketing assistants. I'm talking about ISAs, inside sales agents that prospect thousands and thousands of seller leads and buyer lead follow-ups. I mean, these guys are trained in this stuff specifically. You're not using a company that doesn't know or understand real estate sales. Four out of five of the top teams in the US use my Outdesk for their virtual assistants. And because I know the owner, Daniel Ramsey, I've known him for over a decade, and I know how awesome and incredible this company is and how it saves agents thousands and thousands of dollars every single week and makes them thousands and thousands of more every single week. We're gonna give you a $400 coupon off of your first month of a virtual assistant and give you access and give you a free book entitled Scaling Your Business with Virtual Professionals. So you can like read it and look into it before you decide anything. It's called Scaling Your Business with Virtual Professionals. And you can get it real easy. All you gotta do is text the word HIBAN, H-I-B-A-N to 31996. That's H-I-B-A-N to 31996. And download your free book, Scaling Your Business with Virtual Professionals. And don't forget to mention also that you get a $400 discount, which will give you a coupon for that when you download the book. Thank you, guys. And I hope you enjoy and make a ton of money using my Outdesk. Well, does it change? Like, I want to get into, I want to talk to you with the time we have left. I want to talk to you about the market, the industry shifting, The like, does, does this type of thing actually shift the industry? Like, does a company like Ribbon shift the industry and make it open for other companies to come in and start to 
Like, you know, I know a lot of traditional lenders that are opening up to hard money loans. And I know a lot of hard money lenders that are opening up to a traditional loan format because they've got to compete because they're, they're saturated on either side. So to something like this, it makes consumers more powerful, which is awesome. And like, how does it change the market? So like, if you throw an iBuyer in there or an iSeller in there with a, with a company like this, that's going to throw cash at your deal, like it's so different than the traditional model that we're used to. Yeah, well, and I hope that that means that we're more valuable. Right, um, right. I'm going to need to play, you know, the puppet master with all of this. Um, but you know what? I think you're completely right because if I remember correctly, Wells Fargo came up with a product recently that, like, once you know, they'll do it before your offer goes in, and it's as good as cash. Um, and I do know one of my go-to hard money lenders actually is doing more traditional loans now. So I think you hit the nail on the head with that. Right, right. So like f from that, you know, I want to get your opinion. And again, you're in a, you're in a different market. Like you're on a, you're in an industry leading market, but like, where do you see not the market going, but the industry going in, let's just say, let's call it Manhattan, like the five boroughs and like the East coast, just because that's where we are, like the Northeast, like where do you see the industry going in the next three to five years? As a whole, I think the industry, you know what, I think it's time for a lot of agents to get out of the industry and those that know what they're doing to take Step over. Up. Yeah. And also, you know, I know that this is market, but next year is an election year. Like, forget it. If you don't have relationships, if you're not having strong, powerful conversations with the consumers about what the value is for them to buy, to sell maybe some of these new products, then I feel like, you know, you're just in big trouble as an agent. Right. And I hope within five years that we're kind of back to where we were in like 2012, at least in New York, and we're kind of back on that trajectory of going upwards. And while I think there's always going to be different products that are coming in to make things easier for the consumer, et cetera, if we're doing our job properly as agents, then we should already have it so simplified for them that when something else comes in, they're just like, oh, my rock star agent Aaron already told me about that. And I have, you know, this little spreadsheet over here that's showing me all of this stuff that consumer, you know, would like. So totally. I got that. Yeah. I, I mean, I see it like in Baltimore and like these more, uh, like I am just call them normal markets. Like, you know, the 250 to 350 average price point, which is like the, you know, it's like an average of what people can afford. I mean, maybe not in, in, um, like, you know, Midwest towns where 350 will get you a 17 acres and a mansion and, or like a New York market where 350 will get you a hundred square feet that you can basically maybe lay down in, you know what I mean? On a six floor walk up, right? <laughs> right. Right. In the middle of probably Chinatown that, or like way, way up I you were in the Bronx. I saw some properties at 300 in the Bronx mm -hmm. and they didn't, I mean, they didn't look that appetizing, but I, I I don't, know, maybe they rehab. I don't know. I was looking at realtor.com this weekend. So I think that, you know, I, people contact me and, and reach out all the time and say like, what are your thoughts on the market? Like I'm new in the business or I'm a year into the business and I haven't gotten the traction I want. What, what do you think I should do? My thoughts and what I tell them is you should probably join a team because like, let, let the team kind of absor absorb your speed to action or your speed to success and absorb some of your costs 
and supercharge your learning and growth. Like if you pick the right team, they're going to, they're going to train the hell out of you. Now you might have to do things you don't want to do. And you might have to call a bunch of people you don't want to call. And you might have to, you know, abide by someone else's rules. And a lot of times that's not why people get into the business, but I think it'll supercharge success if you pick the right team. And Uh, yeah, do you agree with that? I 100% agree. And I'm really glad that you also brought up, you know, doing some things that you don't want to do because you know, I know personally, whenever I'm looking at people for the team, while the whole point of expanding a team, right, is because you have so many leads, they're going to help you, you know, you're going to teach them, it's very mutually beneficial. But at the same time, you can't go into a team and be like, great, just feed me. You right. have to go in and be willing to work and do the things and, you know, also grow business. And then that's why it's so mutually beneficial. Sure. Otherwise, you never go on your own afterwards anyways. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, and I think that like, besides that, um, another thing that people need to take on, it would be video marketing because you can do print marketing all day long, which doesn't not, you know, really doesn't work. Um, in my opinion, in the real estate game, because your, your, your cost per lead and your, the, the available, like your exponential reach is just not there with print. Video marketing is crucial because one, you can reach an exponential amount of people, depending on how much you want to put into your ad dollar wise. And people see you on screen and your value on screen in the ad that then you're like, and click below if you want to find out, you know, about home prices in the Baltimore area. So they're already mentally starting to, to check in with you. So when they click and get to your landing page and you call them and say, Hey, it's Ian. Um, I, you know, I saw that you had clicked on my website and I'd love to help you out. Thanks so much for coming. Like, what can, what can I do for you? What are you looking for? How can I help? That's not my script, by the way. I'm just throwing shit out there. <laughs> they have a connection with you. They understand that that was your face. You're not just some random agent picking up the phone. And I think psychologically that helps them. I know it has for me. I've been a video marketing person for a couple of years now, and it's, it's really helped a lot. Do you do video marketing? Uh, it's funny you brought that up because I just ordered some new pieces for video marketing off of Amazon a couple hours ago. So I've done some video marketing in smaller ways, but now I really want to expand on it. But not only video marketing for myself, but also video marketing for properties. Right. Yep. Um, yeah. Because I think, I mean, maybe a few of us have been to a listing that doesn't quite look like the photos. <laughs> yeah. And then Uh, you you go on a listing appointment and you're showing the seller, hey, look, this is how I market. I do this video. I do a video walkthrough. You know what I mean? And my brand gets this type of acknowledgement and and engagement online. And so I think it helps you sell better or or add value better. Yeah. Well, and also, you know, I think another big marketing tool is events because, I mean, this might just be a Manhattan thing, but um, people are buying lifestyles. Right. They want to feel like they would be putting on their own party when they come into an apartment, if that's, you know, the type of buyer it is, or they want to feel like they could host their own family there if that's the type of buyer that it is. And so we even this past Sunday, we threw a Halloween party in a property for a two hour open house. And we had a whole Instagram wall and we had like food and all these treats and drinks and everything else. And we took video of that that we're putting together to show sellers like, hey, look, this is what we will do for your property. Because we're really, you know, obviously there's nobody trying to discriminate here, 
but um, we're really trying to cater to the people that are coming in the room. So if they're an entertainer, they're like, oh, I could actually entertain here and have a good time. And I think how else do you, well, you can, but the best way to explain that is through video. Yeah, 100%. And then I always tell people, look, the only reason you're not getting on video is because of fear and because you're worried about what people are going to think. If you and when you can clear that out of your mental space and whatever that reminds you of your past, you can be free. And look, is it awkward? Like, do I, do I feel awkward when I'm on video sometimes? Yeah. Do I feel like people are going to judge me? Yeah. And I still do it anyway. And the resistance is fun to kind of push through. And so I always tell people, muster up the courage, just push record and just say something about your expertise in something. And so it's like, just say, this is the house I'm having an open house at. I love open houses. You should come by and check it out. It's three bedrooms, two baths. It's $450,000. It's located on the street. And I'd love to see you today. And uh, let me take you for a quick tour of the house. And then just turn the camera around and take them for a quick tour and go, hey, thanks for watching. Done. And in like three minutes, you're going to get 300 people that engage in that. And that like the fact that you put yourself out there, you know, it's like psychological. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you. I actually, thankfully, do not have that fear of being on camera. Right. But this morning, I was circle prospecting for a buyer, and I was—I just kept telling myself, "The money is on the other side of the fear." Right. The on the other side of fear. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I totally agree. So, video, get rolling with video, and it doesn't have to cost you, and it doesn't have to be crazy. You can do video text messages to your clients just to say hey, and you don't have to have any systems. You just make it simple. People want to see authenticity. And so when you, you know, I've seen your videos, you're super authentic and you get a ton of engagement. I'm almost, I may be a little jealous of your engagement actually on your standard videos, but like you have, you have just the ability to reach so many people by video because Facebook and Instagram love that stuff. So I would say hit the video. Yeah. And you're almost doing your clients and yourself even more a disservice if you're not, because you already have the knowledge. So why not just show people that you have the knowledge? Yep. Something we learned in the training program I was at up in New York this weekend was enroll people in what you've gotten or what you know, or what you've learned, enroll the public, enroll everybody in it. And if you can and enroll them, I mean like talk to them about it, share about it. And Mm -hmm. so here's a couple other things I want to talk to you about. There are, there are things that have shifted the industry and I think there's three of them and I was doing some research today and I think the first one in all honesty is HGTV. What are your thoughts on that? Oh my gosh. I love that you said that HGTV has shaped my industry. No, I think in a way it has, I want to see where you're going next with this so that I don't. Let me give you the other ones. Let me give you the other ones. So it's HGTV. Mobile, de- mobile devices that have internet, right? So you can search for properties on online and then internet real estate websites. Like I really wanted to find a way that I could, like it's very simple, but it's very powerful. So HGTV changed people's perceptions of what a flip is or how sh- houses are shown or because it's a, it's a TV model, right? And then you have that you can get stuff on your phone and then- mm-hmm. Then on top of that, you can get internet or you can get real estate on your phone, on your phone. So now like everybody's connected to real estate 
wherever they are in the world, pretty much. I completely agree with that. I would say that in Manhattan, even more than HGTV, million dollar listing has made a lot of shifts. And I think it's created different expectations for a lot of buyers and sellers. Although I've definitely seen, I have a client actually very recently, we were just looking at properties and she was like, I watch HGTV. I have enough vision of what this could be. I'm like, all right. (laughs) So it's it's a benefit and it could be a detriment too. I think it's a benefit because people get to exercise their creative muscle in that specific case like that. And it's also potentially a detriment because they know too much and it's not, and I don't say that as a good thing. They know too much about what the TV show shows you, not, ne- not necessarily what is real in real life where you're buying a house. Would you agree oh my with that? Gosh. Absolutely. <laughs> We all have those clients that are like, I watch HGTV. I know for a fact how to put an offer in on this property. And you're like, oh, no, 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 that's, but that, that's not, that doesn't work here. Right. Yeah. Or they're like, uh, you know, I watch Million Dollar Listing. And then they're like, I know that when you're going to put this on the market, there's going to be 15,000 brokers here. And it's obviously going to sell within two weeks because that's what TV says. Right. And, right. Yeah. So where I want to go with that, is this is I was actually going to shoot a video today and I wanted to kind of bring it up as a topic for you to kind of like wrap this thing up for all of our agents and all the people that are listening to this to this show to the state of the market show there are from HGTV potentially and not all the shows but some of the shows from million dollar listing from these they're not fictitious they're just not and I, and don't get me wrong I'm a junkie for a million dollar listing Scripted? Is that the word you're looking? Yeah, for? yeah. Maybe they're yeah. Maybe it's, it's it's scripted. Yeah. And I've talked to a lot of those guys. I've interviewed a lot of the guys on Million Dollar Listing LA and New York. I mean, we had Ryan Serhan on a couple months ago. They will tell you it's not scripted. It's just edited the way it's edited. I mean, <laughs> I could call him up for one of his listings that was totally scripted. It wasn't even the seller. They didn't list it the way they said they listed it. They didn't have any of the events that they showed on TV that they had. Get out of here, sir. <laughs> so um, no, me- I'm sure part of it isn't, but I would say that I know for a fact the majority of it is because they, after everything has happened, then they go back to the clients to see if they would be able to recreate what they want to show happened. Got it. Okay. Yeah. That's understandable. Yeah. So here are... From HGTV, from a couple, uh, from like that era, right? So HGTV has been around for a while. So I'm going to say like the mid 2000s to like, like, I mean, we're entering, we're entering another decade in a couple months, which is crazy. So let's say like 2010 on, right? There are some, there are some myths. And like I said, I was going to shoot a video on this today that I've been running into lately. And it's just, Interesting. One, I do not need to have the listing agent visit my home until I'm ready. What are your thoughts? Oh my gosh, it's such a disservice to yourself. Maybe right. that agent agent for a reason and they can come give you some advice that might help you. I think that's the simplest objection handler is. You know, I'm not going to come and try and get you to sign something. I'm just going to come and offer some advice so that you don't spend the money that doesn't need to be spent and that we do all the right things that the that the market and the buyers are looking for in today's market. 
maybe not a year ago or a year from now, but like, this is what they're looking for right now. So make sure that we follow that. And I'm an expert in that because I see it every day. So let me just help you. You're 100% right. Nothing is somebody being like, oh, well, I had to make sure I renovated this and renovated this. And you're like, and nobody has the same taste as you. This is terrible. Why was I? (laughs) You know, one of the things that I've seen this, whereas somebody was like, Ian, don't worry about it. I just don't want you to see my house the way it is right now. I'm like, guys, I'm not judging your house. I promise. And I'm not judging you on whatever your house looks like. I'm just going to help you. And I'll send them pictures of properties that I've rehabbed or, you know, I rehab a lot of clients properties for them before they go on the market and they still don't do it. And then I'll go into their house and I'm like, Oh no, you did this. Oh, okay. All right. We'll work through it. It's cool. We'll stage over here and we'll, we'll figure it out. So second thing it leads me into is I don't need to upgrade my property for sale. I don't need to do any of that. I'm not doing anything. The buyer wants to do it. Let them do it. But I want top dollar. You ever deal with that? Oh, yes. And then that's when I show them the comps. And I don't remember who this was. I need to give them kudos. But it's like, oh, you know, you're priced around this one. Great. And are you going to redo the floors? No, that's expensive. Sure it is. And are you going to redo this? No, that's expensive. Sure it is. But you still want the same price? Well, just like you, a buyer's finding value, blah, 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 blah. I feel like you just have to be in front of them with and ask them questions. But yeah, that's it, right? Happens all the time. It's the old bold script of how buyers determine value. Yeah. <laughs> I love that one. Buy a Mac, buy a laptop here, buy a laptop there. This one gives you a CD burner and this one gives you Beats headphones. Which one has more value if they're the same price? I love that. So next one, you have to have an open house. That's what's going to sell my house. Well, I personally love open houses and I feel like I sell a lot of property through open houses. Yeah, I do too. But I don't... I don't know if it's a must. I do think though in the market that we're in, if you can't create urgency by holding open houses, you better have back to back to back to back appointments to somehow be able to artificially create your urgency. So I believe in open houses too. I think there it's a it's a it's a storefront. You're a storefront and you're open. And I always believe in three or four hour open houses. I have some friends out in LA. They have a team called Team Echo and they, they do eight hour open houses, sometimes two days in the weekend. And they will crank like 50 to 70, maybe even a hundred people through because of their marketing. But what they're showing you is that it's a store. It's an, it's open for business. Like get everybody in as much as possible and that's your job. So you better work an eight hour day at your store. And these, remember, these are like, you know, big, big LA properties, but like, that's what they do. And they have a, a, an amazing list, uh, uh, open house system where they'll show you all of the, the active comps, which yeah. I, don't, I don't know if I'm allowed. To, I, I don't know if Baltimore's allowed to do that in our MLS, but regardless, they, they'll show you active comps and stuff that's under contract. And then when, when, Buyers come in and they'll say, uh, you know, you're a little, uh, you're a little overpriced. Uh, the house down the street sold for a hundred thousand less. And they'll say, yeah, well, you know, you should have bought the house down the street. We're the only one on the market right now. And, and we have 60 people here. So we're going to sell it today. And demand creates that hundred thousand dollar price point. And they, they're really successful at doing that and everything's legit. And it's a really cool system. You know, that to me almost sounds like it's more open houses are one of their biggest lead gen systems because they put a lot of money in it. Like I think 
that's really interesting and probably something that I should explore more because we tend to only do one hour open houses. And the thought behind it is I want as many people in the door at the same time, seeing each other there to create some sort of urgency. Sure. But I also definitely don't market or promote in any way, shape or form that that team does. So that's really interesting. I'll get yeah. you connected with them. They're, they've got a really cool model, a really cool yeah. model. All right. Last two, how many signs can you put out for my house? Cause signs sell the property. One. Right. I mean, can you even do that in Manhattan? Like you're not going to hang it off a of high rise, right? I, right. I have one on a townhouse and that's about it. Right. But still, like, what do you, what do you want? Like five signs in your yard? Come on. <laughs> I mean, we have a, you're only allowed to put one in the, in the yard in Baltimore County. Do people want more than one sign? Yeah. I mean, this is, these are, these are myths that like, I've just been researching this because I've gotten this lately with listing appointments I've gone on. These are seller myths that are coming up for some reason for me. And I found like on Inman and on other blogs, they're coming up for other agents too. And I think it's because of these shows. If someone ever said to me, like, and I was selling a home and they were like, I want more than one sign. I would say, if you want me to like cover your home in signs, it's going to look like a discount store. Right. <laughs> That's right. Great point. That's terrible. One beautiful sign. That's yeah. Great. One beautiful sign. That's right. All right. Last one. If a buyer really wants my house, they're going to pay more than market value for it. Depending upon what market value is. Yeah. Yeah. So like, let's price it at the top and let's make buy, like buyers will overpay because of, because my house is in demand. Now that's also a very subjective personal thing that a seller thinks. Mm -hmm. I'm not attacking sellers. I'm just saying like, you know, we, most sellers want the most amount of money and most buyers want it for the cheapest amount of money. So we have to kind of compete with that. And if a buyer really wants the house, they'll pay more than market value. So send it on up. But then it opens up a whole new bag of issues because one, unless you're dealing with an aggressive buyer and or an aggressive agent, I'm telling you that 90% of the, of the buyers out there will not put an offer in on an overpriced property. They've got, or they've, got, they've got the data on their phone. That's what we just talked about, right? Have you ever run into that? Well, I think in every seller listing presentation I go on, I have to explain to them that every seller believes their home is better than every other home. That's why they bought it there. So yeah, I think that's definitely something that they always believe, right? That they're going to pay more because their place is just that much more special. But at the end of the day, while there is emotion <clears throat> involved in buying, there's also logic. And I think just like you said, they have the data right in front of them. If they're you know, looking at the price, it doesn't matter how much they love it. I mean, I actually have a buyer right now who fell in love with the property and while in the property um, for an open house, every, it was just filled with people. I walked in and I was like, I'm just not seeing it. They don't even have a closet. I'm sorry, I just don't see it. And walking out, people were like, there's going to be bidding wars on this, et cetera. And I'm sure that's exactly what the agents and sellers had conversations about. But it's still sitting on the market 75 days later. How um, overpriced was it? I personally believe it's about 500,000 overpriced, Ooh. but you know, my buyer is madly in love with it. And she's like, I'm not paying that for it. So there's just some, some logic not uh, take over the, the price. Now, do you run into most, like most of your buyers who will not make an offer 
that's just so far under what, even what the seller wants. I'm not talking about market value. I'm just talking about what the seller's looking for. Like, let's say your buyer was like, yeah, let's do it. You're aggressive. Let's make this offer 500,000 less. That's what I'm willing to pay. I encourage my buyers to do that. Tell them yeah. what they're willing to pay. Cause it might give them a, a, most of the time, I think it gives a seller like a reality check, especially if they're way overpriced. But on like a standard house in a standard cul-de-sac neighborhood, not a custom house somewhere where it's justified to be over the comps because you've got, you know, a pool and a, and a outdoor pizza oven or something crazy. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I like that. And I think that this is like, there are new rules and new tools that are, that are helping buyers be, or it's making them smarter. And mm -hmm. so you really can't like, if your house is priced too high, like I think a seller is only kidding themselves for the most part, unless you're in a hot, hot market. Like there's a county north of us, that's a hot market and you can overprice a little bit and you can get it, you can get it to move. Multiple offer situations. Now you have to deal with the appraisal, but you know, because all these properties are going for over market value, the appraisals are starting to change too. Yeah. So, you know, I actually heard, this is one of my good friends, buyers. We were talking about this and throwing in, you know, lower offers and I'm the same as you. I always tell my client, like, why don't we just throw some paint on the wall? Right. We'll see what happens. And in this market, too, I've seen a lot of times where we'll put in a lowball offer and then, you know, the seller, their agent, whatever, they're, I don't want to call them cocky about it, but they're just maybe not in the same mindset that we are about it. Sure. And then they'll come back to it months later and are like, oh, well, was your buyer still interested? <laughs> Sometimes, most of the time now. Um, but this buyer actually said that she wouldn't put in a lowball offer because she didn't want to be seen as the type of person that would put in a lowball offer. I had never heard that before. Which is so psychological. It makes no logical sense. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's crazy. They don't want to be seen as that kind of a person. I mean, I've had buyers that say, I don't want to put in a lowball offer because if the, if the seller accepts it, I don't want them to be pissed off at me the entire time and it'd be awkward. Which makes sense. I get that. Yeah, but I'd be like, great, be mad at me, whatever, I got my house. Right. It's still made up in their head. It's just something yeah. like they put an offer in. It's what happened. The seller got, you know, seller countered. It, it happened. Like, it's easy. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's, that's awesome. Well, look, we got a wrap. It's been, wow, it's been over an hour. This has been fun. So, fun. yeah, I really appreciate you joining us on the uh, Real Estate Rockstar State of the Market. Rockstar Nation, I hope you enjoyed this. And if you have questions for us or if you want to, you know, you want a topic thrown out there and we can talk about it, either Pat or I or Aaron and I, whenever Pat gets back or other guests, uh, guest hosts that we have, like we'd love it. We'd absolutely love it. You can, you can just email us or go on to a hybendigital.com and, and shoot us a little uh, message or an email. So Aaron Wheelock from Manhattan, the epicenter of real estate on the East coast. Really appreciate you having on. Ha really appreciate having you on. And thanks for <laughs> your time. Thanks for having me. It was great. Thank you. Absolutely. All right. So this thing's going to come out pretty fast. So make sure you share with all your friends and rockstar nation. If you want to get any details on Erin, she's going to send me all kinds of cool stuff and her bio, which she doesn't really know about, but she's going to send it. And it's going to be up on hybendigital.com forward slash Aaron Wheelock, W H E E L O C K. Right. You got it. Got it. And if you want to get in touch with Erin or if you want to find out where she is on Instagram, all that stuff's going to be on hybendigital.com 
forward slash Aaron Wheelock. And for Aaron's free gift that she's going to give us, which uh, we'll get later on and we'll post up there, you can go hybendigital.com forward slash toolbox or agent toolbox. You can get all that from Aaron plus all the other guests that we've had on the show. So Rockstar Nation and Aaron Wheelock, thank you for listening and thank you for participating. And uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Bye. As a member of the Rockstar Nation, you may have noticed that every guest that comes on the show now is required to bring with them a free tool, an item of utility that real estate agents can use to drastically increase their sales and profits. Some of the things that have been brought have been ebooks, forms, reports, negotiating techniques, hiring guides, postcards, checklists open house secrets, newsletters that are sent out, sphere of influence forms, referral request forms, and the list goes on and on. If you would like to get this free toolbox full of items of utility, simply go to hybendigital.com backslash toolbox. That's hybendigital.com backslash toolbox or simply text toolbox to 444-999. That's toolbox to 444-999. Rockstar Nation, thank you for listening to Real Estate Rockstars. Listen, I need a favor. If you find this free content helpful, if you find our downloadable items from each guest helpful, please, I need you to pull out your pointing finger, yes, the one finger that points at people, and hit subscribe. Yes, subscribe. The more subscribers we get, the better we look in the ratings and the easier it is to get guests like Robert Kiyosaki, Barbara Corcoran, all the players that are on a million dollar listing in the different cities. All that stuff makes it easier the more subscribers we get. So please subscribe. And listen, there's a lot of places you can leave comments. There's a lot of places you can like. We're on Facebook. We have an Instagram page. Instagram page is I am Pat Hyben. The Facebook is Real Estate Rockstars Radio. Feel free to leave us comments there. The most popular form of commenting seems to happen on YouTube. Yes, for whatever reason, it's a very open environment. So just go to YouTube and go to Real Estate Rockstars Radio and leave us comments there. Some of them we will read on the show, and we love your feedback. So thanks, guys, and I hope you are having a great day. Oh, and also, listen, if you're going to subscribe and you haven't already left us a, a review on iTunes, please do that too. Have a great day, and thanks so much, Rockstar Nation. I really appreciate you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.